Hello and welcome to Rounding Third, a baseball podcast where I'm going to be talking about all things baseball, including takeaways from the previous week, a look forward to next week's action, and just overall talking about what's going on around the MLB. My name is Ari Wall, and it's always been a goal of mine to start a baseball podcast, so I'm very excited to get this one underway. And let's just kick it off with what what is fresh, the Braves winning the World Series. How did they do it, beating the Astros, going through the Dodgers? So for me, how they did it was the reliance on the home run. In the regular season, the Braves hit the third most home runs in baseball with 239, and this carried over into the playoffs with the Braves hitting 23 homers in 16 games. Now, the Astros are much more old school, uh, manufacturing the runs without relying on the home run. Obviously, you've got Yuli Gurriel, Michael Brantley, these kinds of guys that don't rely on hitting the home run to provide a spark or provide something in that Astros order. So they led baseball with a 267 average with runners in scoring position in the regular season and only had 15 homers in the playoffs, but led all teams with 142 hits. So neither team hit particularly well in the playoffs. The Braves batted just 239 in the World Series and the Astros hit 224. But the big difference is that the Braves continued to do what they were good at, hitting the home run. They hit 11 in the six-game series and the Astros hit just two, both coming off the bat of Jose Altuve. The Braves hit more than two in just game, game six alone. So the main storyline for me to take away from the Astros is obviously the bats will come around. The Braves pitching just shut them down in that series. But for me, it's what happened to Framber Valdez. This is a guy who was the ace of the team with the absence of Verlander and Granke missing, uh, not being his, his usual form. And they relied on him to be the ace, and he was able to do it during the regular season. And he even did it last year as well. He had a 2.08 ERA in the 2020 playoffs, but in this year's playoffs, an 8.85. Huge difference. So what could it be? A lot of people could point to fans in the stands, but I would say probably not because he pitched the entire 2021 regular season facing high-level teams. I'm sure he faced the Dodgers maybe, um, you know, the Yankees, Red Sox, all these teams that he might have faced in the playoffs, he probably faced many of them in the regular season and probably pitched fine in those games as well. So I would assume that it's not the fans in the stands, and I don't really have an answer for what it could be. That's just something that I wanted to point out and, and really look at because, you know, he's he's a guy with great stuff, and I think a lot of people see, see that. And I hope that uh, people aren't going to look at his performance in the 2021 playoffs as some sort of proof that uh, he can't pitch in big moments. I think he proved it in 2020. I think they'll be back in the playoffs in 2022, and I think he'll get the opportunity to return to his 2020 performance um, in next year's playoffs and be the ace of this team, assuming Verlander uh, is never the ace that, uh, that he was back a few years ago. And from the Braves side of things, can they go back to back? Why not, right? So this team went through the went through the Dodgers, the team that was projected to win it all since day one of the twenty twenty World uh, since day one of the twenty twenty season, and I would say that I do see them as legitimate World Series contenders going into the twenty twenty two season. I think they should be the the favorites to win the NL East. I know the Mets are always supposed to uh, you know win that division, but uh, there always seems to be something that happens there and and they uh, and they fall apart or they go on a run, but then they can't uh, the pitching can't hold up, the offense can't hold up. 
So I still I still see them as the, uh, the winners of the NL East in 2022. And obviously they got Freeman as a free agent. I think he comes back. The outfield, Rosario, Jock, Duval, Soler, all free agents. I think they'll bring back one, maybe two, maybe even three or four, or all of them if, if they want to come back. Um, and so I see them as legitimate World Series contenders going into the 2022 season. So you still have the Dodgers, who I think will probably come out of the uh, National League. But... You know, that remains to be seen. The offseason is going to be very busy. Um, and, the, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, let's jump right in with the 2021 awards. I'm just going to be giving you my MVP and Cy Young. For the AL MVP, obviously a great season by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. There was super high expectations coming into this year and coming into his rookie year. Um, he lost a lot of weight and had a fantastic statistical season, was on triple crown watch for nearly the entire year. But with what Otani did, just unprecedented. There's really not much more that can be added. Uh, a fantastic seasons by both of them. Uh, Otani, you know, I my biggest question with him is whether he can stay healthy, whether he can keep this up throughout the pace of an entire 162 game season again. Obviously, he had some times where he had to miss starts. Um, but with the bat in the with the bat in the lineup, if he can stay healthy and continue to hit. Um, and that's that's really enough. He doesn't have to pitch, but just having him pitch is just that extra value, which obviously lets him win this MVP over Vlad. Now over to the NL MVP. This is a tough race. I have three guys at the top of it, and those are Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, and Bryce Harper. So I'm just going to go through some of the stats here and compare them and then give you who I believe is the NL MVP. Tatis, four, 42 home runs, leads all three of them. 282 batting average, slightly lower than what you would see in a normal MVP season, but then again, Otani's is down at around 260. Uh, Tatis did steal 25 bases, uh, 62 walks, 153 strikeouts, and overall a 6.5 war, according to baseball reference. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, and these two are kind of opposites in a lot of these statistics, is Juan Soto. Only 29 home runs, as opposed to Tatis's 42, but a 313 batting average for Soto and 145 walks. Uh, a lot of pitchers are clearly pitching around him in the order with Josh Bell as his protection. The, the Nationals really need to find a solution to who can bat behind him because otherwise there's really no reason to pitch to Juan Soto. Soto also only 93 strikeouts. So 145 walks with 93 strikeouts, pretty incredible, and a 7 war, according to Baseball Reference again. And then in the middle of these two statistical seasons is Bryce Harper, 35 home runs, splits the two of them, a 309 batting average, 13 stolen bases, 100 walks, 134 strikeouts, and a 5.9 war. So with all three, te- with all three players' uh, teams missing the playoffs, obviously Tatis looked like they were going to make the playoffs until that collapse at the end of the season. I have the MVP going to Juan Soto. I think a lot of people have it going to Bryce Harper. Um, the people that really love the home run are giving it to Tatis. But I think overall what Juan Soto brings, uh, he is the MVP. That walks to strikeout ratio is incredible. 29 home runs is still phenomenal and 313 batting average is pretty great and if you love war then according to baseball reference he is the leader in war among those three let's go to the al cy young now it looked like it was going to be a close race between garrett cole and robbie ray but at the end of the year garrett cole kind of just collapsed um the yankees needed him to be an ace needed him to go out there and win them games and really he wasn't that obviously they counted on him for the wild card game again he couldn't convert there so Really, this is 
regular season wise robbie ray is the no doubter here he led the american league with a 2.84 era 6.7 war a 1.04 whip and he also led baseball with uh, 248 strikeouts so really not much of a question here it goes to robbie ray who is the pending free agent and it's going to be a big question all throughout this offseason uh, as to where he will sign because wherever he goes so long as he can limit that walks limit the walks that he uh, used to give up back in arizona uh, he is going to be a legitimate Cy Young contender going into 2022 as well. And as for the NL Cy Young, again, three, three-headed three monster here, like the MVP with Bueller, Corbin Burns, and Zach Wheeler. So Walker Bueller, 16-4 uh, and four record, 2.47 ERA, .968 whip, 212 strikeouts in 212 innings pitched, and a 6.7 war on the season. Fantastic statistical season. Corbin Burns, the ERA king, uh, 11 and 5, a 2.43 ERA, uh, 2. Point, uh, I'm sorry, 234 strikeouts in 167 innings pitched, and a 0.94 WHIP with a 5.7 WAR. And lastly, Zach Wheeler, strikeout king, uh, 14 and 10, with a 2.78 ERA, 240, 247 strikeouts in 213 and a third innings pitched whip just over one and a 7.7 war and as much as i'd love to see corbin burns win this award he kind of came out of nowhere in a lot of people's eyes um, i do think that walker bueller wins this award burns had just 167 innings pitched and in those 234 strikeouts which is incredible but bueller and wheeler both 200 innings pitched uh, kind of made it a debate between Bueller and Wheeler, and ultimately I think Bueller wins the Cy Young. And if you want to take into account what the uh, team's success was, Bueller was the the ace of this team. Obviously, even when they got Max Scherzer, um, he still kind of was the guy to turn to. Um, and with no Kershaw for a lot of the year, um, Bueller really stepped up. And all three of these guys are going to have great years, years next year, I have to assume. And uh, Bueller is on Hall of Fame trajectory at this point in his career, and I'm excited to see what he brings in the 2022 season. All right, now let's talk about one of the bigger news stories in the week, and that is Buster Posey calling it a career after one of his better seasons in the last few years. Um, something I did not see coming, I don't think a lot of people saw coming, and now that he is retired, the debate is now that, is he a Hall of Famer? And personally, I would say yes. Um, and and I will tell you why, but I will also contrast his career with another player who's not in the Hall of Fame, that if you say Posey is a Hall of Famer, I think you have to say that this player is as well. So as for career accolades, Buster Posey is an one-time MVP, seven-time All-Star, three-time World Series champion, a Rookie of the Year, four-time Silver Slugger, a batting title winner, a Gold Glover, and a 44.9 career war. And the stat that I want to focus on is what we what they call the War 7, which is uh, the peak, the seven-year peak of a player's career. And his War 7 is 36.7, which is 10th all-time among catchers. He also amassed 1,500 hits, 150 home runs, and has a lifetime 302, 372, and 460 hitter. And as for another player that I believe does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame because they had similar statistical years, and that is Joe Torre, who is not in the Hall of Fame as a player. He's in the Hall of Fame as a manager, but I believe he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame as a player as well. I'll read you his statistics as well. Uh, his career accolades, MVP, nine-time All-Star as opposed to seven, uh, a batting title winner one time, just like Posey, one gold glove, just like Posey, and a 57.5 career war. And if you look at his war seven, 37.2, which is seventh all time among catchers.
He amassed 2,300 hits, 250 home runs, and is a lifetime 297, 365, and 452 hitter. So if you believe Posey is a Hall of Famer, which I believe he is, then I think you have to consider Joe Torre as a Hall of Famer as well. Um, it's a shame that he isn't in the Hall of Fame, uh, including those statistics. Um, the catcher is really not a position that has been looked at to provide offense, but Joe Torre with 2,300 hits, 250 home runs, certainly provided the offense. And uh, as for other players that are in the top 10 in War 7, if you're curious, that are not in the Hall of Fame, Joe Maurer uh, with a 39 War 7, who will also likely get into the Hall of Fame. He's eligible in 2024. And Thurman Munson is 8th all-time in War 7 amongst catchers with a 37. So they are the only four players not in the Hall of Fame that are top 10 in War 7 among catchers. I believe all four deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Thurman Munson potentially not so much so because obviously the length of his career unfortunately cut short. But I do believe that Posey, uh, Joe Torre, and Joe Maurer are all Hall of Famers. All right, to conclude this episode, I'm going to do a little bit of free agent matching. Uh, This is something I'm going to try to do every week here on the podcast, and we're going to start with the starting pitching position. We're just going to go through some of the top end starting pitchers and look at who I think these these players should go to and the teams that should be offering them max contracts. Uh, The teams that really need starting pitching, in my eyes, are the Angels. If they want to compete for a division championship and dethrone the Astros, they really need starting pitching. They can't rely on Otani to be the best hitter and the best pitcher on the team. The Yankees, the Braves, the Mets, the Giants, and the Red Sox. Let's start with one of the biggest names in this year's free agency class among starting pitchers, and that is the oldest member, and that is Max Scherzer. Coming from the Dodgers, I see him staying in California, and I think the Angels offer him a big contract, a multi-year contract, and he goes to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I think the Angels desperately need him. I think he would be a perfect ace on this team. And also, I think it fits right in with what the Angels like to do in free agency, which is offer players who are 35, 36, 37, and give them five, six-year deals um, deep into their into their 40s, even after they're past their prime, because they're willing to take a few years of, uh, of competitiveness and eat the bad contract in the future. So... I do think the Angels should offer him a contract. Whether he accepts it or not, uh, I'm not so sure, but I think the Angels would be a fantastic fit. Uh, Clayton Kershaw going to be a free agent. I think he stays with the Dodgers. I think the Dodgers want him. I think the Dodgers fans want him, and I think he wants to stay with the Dodgers. Um, So I see him returning. Noah Syndergaard, I also think he returns back to the Mets. Carlos Rodon, also have him returning back to the White Sox. Kevin Gossman going back to the Giants, who need starting pitching. I think they would be willing to throw out a max maximum deal to Kevin Gossman coming off a fantastic season, and I think he stays. And Marcus Stroman, I think he goes to the Washington Nationals, a team that really isn't uh, competitive right now, but a team that does need starting pitching. I think the Nationals just really fit with, you know, he fits with what he fits their timeline. He fits what uh, what they're trying to do, which is slowly build for maybe two years down the line to be competitive um, and I think he goes to Washington. For Robbie Ray, I think he returns to the Toronto Blue Jays. I think after having a statistical season like he just had, it would it would make sense to return. Uh, I know a lot of people were saying that the reason why he was so good is because the Blue Jays pitching uh, staff had helped him rework his mechanics, which helped him eliminate the walks, which helped him 
um, become a Cy Young in my eyes. So I think he returns to Toronto. I think he enjoyed pitching there, and I think the team would love to have him back as an ace. Anthony Descalfani, I also see him returning back to the Giants. Zach Greinke is a very interesting one, and I think I have him going to the Boston Red Sox. Um, if the Astros do not decide that they want to extend him and keep him around, I think the Boston Red Sox are a really good fit for him. They're a team that wants to compete right now. Chris Sale obviously would be the ace of that team, but Zach Greinke would be a really good two instead of Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, and you have him, Nathan Evaldi, and Chris Sale is a fantastic three-man rotation for a playoff series. And I think that was something that they were lacking um, in this year's playoffs was that other go-to starter. Um, and I think Zach Greinke goes to the Boston Red Sox at 38 years old, maybe a one-year deal, maybe maybe two if the Red Sox are willing to offer him um, two years into his 40s. Um, and I think that would be a really good fit for them and help them uh, set themselves up for a deep playoff run again this year. All right, and that wraps up this first episode of the Rounding Third podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know uh, what you liked about it, um, what you didn't like about it, if there was any criticisms that you had. Uh, obviously, this is something that I'm very new at and uh, just trying to learn as much as possible. And hopefully uh, I get better as time goes on. I'm hoping to make this a weekly podcast. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed. If you want, you can follow um, the Rounding Third podcast Instagram. It's just rounding underscore third underscore podcast. It'll be the link in the description. You can also follow the Twitter. Um, it's also at rounding underscore third one. Also will be in the description. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I'll see you all next week. Peace.